So you want to be a real estate investor, but where do you start? How do you know what information and sources to trust? That's where I come in. I'm Johnny Catani, and this is the Investor Relations Real Estate Podcast. Hey guys, real quick, before we start, go to investwithkatani.com and download my free ebook, Is Commercial Real Estate Recession Proof? Now to today's show. What's up, guys? And welcome to another episode of the Investor Relations Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Johnny Catani, and I'm joined today by Gabriel Hamill. Gabriel is a real estate investor whose passion for real estate business and financial freedom has helped him to amass a multi-million dollar real estate portfolio consisting of single-family homes, multi-family apartments, commercial real estate, and mobile home parks. From humble beginnings, a book on real estate, and a strong desire for financial freedom, Gabriel set out to find creative ways to start purchasing income producing investment real estate. Gabriel's a strong advocate of financial literacy through self-education. Gabe, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Uh, very excited um, to chat today. Um, you know, you've got a nice, uh, you know, mix of different real estate uh, asset classes. But before we get to that, you know, take us back to the beginning. What were you doing before and what caught your attention about this and, and led you to where you're at now? Yeah, that's kind of a long backstory to the real estate journey, but I'll, I'll condense it as much as I can. Um, you know, really, I was, the, I was the kid that stayed in school, not for the academic part, but for the social part. And uh, I was a high school wrestler. Uh, that's, that's really what kept me in school was the wrestling and the social aspect. Uh, but I was also very entrepreneurial minded. I, I was attracted to business. I just didn't know what that, what that looked like. Um, in my mind, that meant like wear a suit, you know, high office building. I usually wear sweats and a t-shirt now. Um, you know, so a couple years after high school, actually in high school, my senior year of high school, I joined the army national guard. Um, I was doing the one week in a month thing. Um, and let's see about two years after high school, I read the book, rich dad, poor dad. So, you know, by now it's like 2002, I read that book and I'm going, Oh shit, this is, this makes sense. It's the first book I ever read word to word, cover for cover. Like I used to be afraid to say, or like, like, uh, kind of embarrassed to, to share that. Now I'm like, no, I'm glad that was the first book that actually caught my attention that I couldn't put down. Uh, so yeah, like 2002, I'm like, this is what I'm going to do. This makes sense to me. And then shortly after that, uh, in 2003, before I ever bought a property, I got a phone call and I was deployed to Iraq uh, and Kuwait for about a year. Um, but I still have it in my head. I told all my, all my friends, like, I'm coming back. I'm going to invest in real estate. This is what I'm going to do. And they're, most of them are like, you're an idiot. How are you going to do that? And I was like, I have no idea how, but I'm going to do it. This is my plan. I, people do it. This is how I'm going to become financially free. How I'm going to become wealthy. I'm going to build this real estate empire. Um, and then I got back in 04. And after about a year of looking, 2005, bought my first, my first single family home, uh, rented out two of the rooms. Now they call that house hacking. And back then it just made good financial sense. And I could live cheaper than anywhere, anywhere else I could have in town. And that's kind of how I got my, got my start. That's awesome. I love that. And what was it um, that kind of led you to, you know, you obviously wanted to, to build a real estate portfolio, but what's led you to, you know, you started with single family. Was it scalability thing? What led you to kind of, you know, continuing up into, you know, bigger asset classes? Yeah, I think it's more of a mindset thing more than anything. Like, you know, starting off, I, I think I only allowed my mind to think in terms of like a hey, single family or small, small multifamily. Every time I've 
leveled up my real estate, whether it's, you know, the site, the unit count or uh, the, the purchase price, it's always been a mindset thing. I think it's actually easier to buy bigger properties. And I think I'll look back 10 years from now and, and look at the stuff that I'm investing in now and be like, that's, that's small stuff. Cause I remember some of the deals that felt like big deals then feel like small deals today. I know it is so fascinating uh, how that shift changes. Uh, you know, like I was a stockbroker for a while. Um, but before I got to the high net worth people, you know, I, every once in a while talk to someone who had like a million dollars. I was like, Oh, wow. And now, you know, I've had people on the podcast that have $2 billion portfolios. Right. And so of course that don't get me wrong. That's a lot of money, but the way that your mind works where you're like, Oh, I understand how someone can get a $2 billion portfolio. It no longer is like, Holy cow. That doesn't even, you know, no, absolutely. Absolutely. And sometimes that's, it's just, a, it's about being around those people, right? Like I, I go to different real estate events and I'm part of different, different masterminds. And sometimes it's very tactical, like, oh, that's, that's good advice. I need to go do that or implement that. Other times it's just being around people that are playing at a much higher level. You're going, they're doing it. And they're not, it's, it's, and it doesn't seem that much harder. In fact, it almost seems easier. And so for me, it's like, I go to an event. I, I get a lot out of it. Great speakers, but a lot of times it's just being around people that are playing bigger that makes me go, "All right, I gotta, I gotta step it up." Absolutely, that's such a huge factor. Um, I was having this conversation last night with my girlfriend and some friends, uh, just about how you know surrounding yourself with those people it pushes you uh, to do better. Um, you know, and then you get around them and you realize they're just like you, right? They, you know, they have, you know, they've educated themselves more. Um, you know, typically more self-educated uh, than, than you have, but only because, you know, they just have been doing it longer and you realize, Hey, they started just like me. Right. And, you know, it's, it becomes a more attainable goal. So one thing a lot of people talk about is diversifying, but not necessarily, you know, every asset class, you've got a nice mix of, you know, kind of diversified. Talk about what's in your portfolio now and why you're willing to, you know, play in all the different, uh, all the different fields. Yeah. I mean, I think for starters that, you know, people find success in every asset class within real estate. I mean, you know, there's people kicking ass in single family, multifamily, mobile home park, self-storage, like anything, you name it. People are finding, finding a way. Um, you know, I, I started with single family and small multifamily, um, you know, and I just got like, Hey, w- once I had, you know, I, when a six unit was my biggest place, I'm like, I'm going to buy something that's 10 units or more this, this year. And I was like, Hey, I'm going to buy a 20 unit or more. I, I think it's just, to me, it's not, it's not that much different. The fundamentals of investing don't really change that much as the assets change. Um, and then the last couple of years I've been buying mobile home parks, uh, bought an RV park campground. I really like the mobile home park space for a lot of reasons. I think there's a lot of opportunity for value add. Um, you know, you find a property just like almost any asset class that's poorly managed, under rented, some deferred maintenance, a way to decrease expenses and increase revenue, you can add a lot of value to the property and increase and increase the cash flow. And so in the mobile home park space, even though the last couple of years has been pretty frothy, there's still a lot of mom and pop uh, mobile home park owners that have okay parks that can be ran a lot, a lot better. And for me, a lot of that is just decreasing expenses, increasing revenue, having solid property management in place. And so I, I like that class a lot, that asset class a lot. Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely becoming a more a prevalent asset class, you know, as 
you know, cap rates are compressing in other asset classes, investors obviously searching for yield, starting to see, like you said, there is opportunity there. That's why I like self-storage, kind of the same thing, still a ton of mom and pop. I think it's like something 70% of them are still single owner. Um, so do you have a partner that you do everything with? Do you do different partners with each deal? Kind of talk about uh, your approach there. Yeah, I've only partnered on a couple deals ever um, on, on some of the smaller um, multifamily stuff. So I actually got my start. So after, I bought a home, like a single family in 05, one in 06, one in 07. And that, those were, I've never traditionally financed a property, actually. So other than those first three properties, that was during the subprime, anyone could get a, anyone could get a loan. Um, and so 100% finance. My thought back then was, I'm just going to buy a house every year. I can just go to the bank and every year I'm going to buy one single family home in 20 years, I'll have 20 houses doing pretty good. Uh, you know, in 2008, I went back to the bank and they told me, Hey, you like, you don't qualify for a loan. You actually have to have income and a job a down payment. None of which I had, I just shut down a, a small nutrition store that wasn't making any money. And my first son was born in 08. And so that was my big kind of, Oh shit moment. Like, what do I do? Um, and I took some odd end jobs and such. And, uh, you know, eventually I was like, I gotta get serious. Like, do I either, do I either just work a job that doesn't pay much that I don't enjoy? And do this for the rest of my life or I get serious about real estate. And so, um, I, at the time I knew nobody in real estate. I knew no one in business. I knew no one that, um, you know, as far as like a partner who I would partner with, who I'd borrow money from. And so my route was really seller finance. That's how I built the majority of my portfolio. Everything I bought 09, 2009 through 13 was all no money down seller finance deals. I, I didn't partner on any of those. Um, a lot of those I found on Craigslist. A lot of those I found on just telling people what I'm looking for. Uh, and just a lot of conversations. And so that was kind of the initial build of my portfolio was just, I was just winging it, just doing it myself. My only criteria was has to be cash flow positive. That was my only criteria. And because these were no money down deals, I, I felt like that hedged my risk. And so, you know, in, in 2009, when a lot of people were getting, were scared of investing in real estate. I was buying everything that I possibly could. Um, and then I did, I did partner on some smaller deals, uh, a couple small apartment complexes I have a partner on. And then, uh, I just kind of went back to the roots of how I, how I bought before with seller financing and then started borrowing private money and hard money. And that's how I ended up financing a lot of my mobile home park deals. Wow. That's awesome. So no syndication on the mobile home parks or even I, uh co-GP or business partner, huh? I've never, I've never raised capital. That's oh, wow. Fascinating. Okay. That's awesome. Love that approach. Uh, you know, perfect, a prime example of you don't have to do things a certain way, especially in this industry, multiple ways to skin a cat, as they say. Um, and, and that's awesome. So, uh, one thing, uh, you know, like I look back on and if I could start over, you know, I'd house hack, do some of these, um, you know, like you said, uh, um, like seller financing. So talk about, you know, let's say someone like you, right. Doesn't want to maybe do an odd and end job, not really looking good as a borrower. What are some approaches we can, they can take to, you know, understand seller financing and approach seller financing and, and, you know, do it correctly. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. I, I think, I think my, the biggest advice is, not even necessarily learn as much as you can about seller financing. You can, you can, but just get in front of enough people, enough potential sellers that want to carry financing. Because for me, once I had bought those first three properties and the bank said, Hey, you're not financeable. 
the only way, just because I had read about it, the only other ways I knew it was hard money, private money, and seller financing. And I knew very little about it. And at the time, I wasn't comfortable asking for, I knew nobody with money. So I, I knew no one asked for money. I did walk into a hard money lender and introduce myself looking like a crazy man and saying, hey, we'll probably do business together. They have now years later lent me millions and millions of dollars because I've established that relationship and have a track record. Um, but in my mind, I was like, okay, well, these aren't options, at least in my mind at the time. I'm going to do some seller finance. So I literally went on Craigslist every single night for a year and was just looked up owner financing, seller financing, owner terms. And I started having conversations with these sellers. And you know, a lot of times the terms didn't make sense. It didn't cash flow. They wanted a lot of money down and that just didn't, didn't make sense for me. And then after I did a few deals, I did think, oh my gosh, this is so amazing. These sellers were thanking me for buying their property. A few times I accidentally walked away with, with cash at closing because I closed, you know, early in the month. So I got the prorated rents and the deposits. So, I mean, now I strategically close early in the month to, to get some of those prorates to offset any kind of down payment. Um, you know, so initially I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm making money buying property. This is, this is too easy. I need to go educate all these sellers on why they should carry financing and why they should for me. And then I kind of paused and was like, wait a minute, I didn't explain seller financing to any of these sellers. Every seller, even to this day, who's ever carried financing for me, they already know what seller financing is. They already know the advantage, the advantages of seller financing. And I always say, because I know people who have educated the seller on the advantages. Hey, if, if you carry financing, you're going to earn all this interest. And over time, you're making more money than if you sell for cash. And there's a lot of benefits, right? Like they don't pay capital gains all at once. So there's a lot of advantages to why a seller could or might want to want to carry financing. But I've never educated the seller on it. I've just gotten in front of enough sellers that already know because these sellers that want to carry financing, they're investors themselves. They've already built up some wealth through real estate. I'm not buying their primary residence. I'm buying from usually men and women in their 60s and 70s that are amazing people. They're just burnt out because that generation typically self-managed. They were property manager, maintenance person, dealing with tenants, all the stuff that the properties that I don't enjoy and don't do, they do and they're burnt out. And so it creates this true win-win scenario. And I keep it as simple as, hey, finding sellers that want to carry financing. And then I just get in front of them and say, hey, what kind of terms would you be interested in? And depending on what they say, can I create a scenario that's a win for them and a win for me? And I, I keep it that simple. Wow. That's awesome. I love that so much. And that was really, really great insight. Uh, one thing that fascinates me about seller carry, like you said, you know, they want a lot. Sometimes you see you know, they really do want that down payment, right? So what's a way we can approach to, to get the zero down, maybe even a specific deal you did, or I guess what I'm asking, have you ever had to convince someone to do zero down, but you were able to by coming up with agreeable terms? Yeah. It's kind of funny because the, there's a couple of deals early on where they never asked for a down payment. And I'm thinking, I have no, they haven't asked for down payment. I don't know. Like, are they going to come in, you know, in at the last minute and say they want to bunch, bunch down and they didn't. And so I didn't address it and, um, and it just kind of worked. But what I found is by asking sellers, um, cause I get all, I, I get people asking all the time, like, what's your pitch? What's your, you know, I don't have a pitch. I just literally say, Hey, what kind of terms would you be interested in? And I've just found that most sellers it's price down payment or interest rate or some other aspect of the deal. Um, that's really important to that seller. And if I can give them that, like, if I hear that it's price, you know, there may be a reason they don't want a down payment. I've had sellers where, they have enough taxable income for that year. Or a lot of times it comes down to how much they know or like or trust you where they don't necessarily need a large down payment. I just did my first seller finance deal for somebody 
that I know I can trust. There, it's four properties, 13 units. I have a lot of equity in those properties, but they're not the assets that I'm buying today. And there's a lot of deferred maintenance and it's not the best use of my money. I sold them to a couple that I know I like and trust and they have the skill set to go in. They're already cleaning these up. And so they, they offered me a no money down deal. And the reason I took it is because they gave me the price that I want. And I don't need that cash today. They're going to pay that in, in three years. And so for me, it created uh, you know, me not having to take care of these 13 units that I know are going to have a lot of deferred maintenance. And it was funny hearing the way they made this offer because they made an offer very similarly to what I probably would have offered if I was in their shoes. And I, and I loved it. There was a little, bit of, uh, a little bit of negotiation, but for the most part, it made sense. They said, hey, we have some money in the bank. We, wanna, we really want to put this towards the properties. For us to maximize rent, we have to go in and clean these up. There's a lot of deferred maintenance. And so we'd like to offer you a no money down deal. And I said, that works for me. I don't need that cash today. But I got, I got today's pricing for the homes. It's going to be a win for them. They, they have the skill set to clean them up, to maximize rent. And that's not where my money's going. And I'll be paid out in, in three years. And so it's, you just don't know unless, unless you ask. And um, I mean, I can give you example after example of just, you know, sellers that want a specific thing. And it, well, I guess the tricky part, if you don't get direct with seller, it's hard to know what they want. And so I think in the real estate world, a lot of times it's very transactional where you're putting offers out there based on what you want. If you can get face-to-face with a seller or find out what they really want, then you can actually create an offer that, that benefits them and you as well. Yeah, that's awesome. I love that. Um, you kind of mentioned some of your sources, including Craigslist, which I, I love. Um, uh, you know, it can be risk-reward there for sure. What are some other places or sources, you know, obviously uh, meetups and things, but what are some other sources we can try to get direct to sellers? Yeah, I think people underestimate relationships. They do. I, every single deal, I've, I've never, I've never sent out mailers. I've never bought a list. Um, but every single deal from my very first one to my most recent one, every deal I can trace back to a relationship and a converse or a conversation. And that, that can be with agents and brokers. And that, that can be people within your circle. I didn't think I had anyone in my real estate, like a real estate circle. I knew nobody. Um, the very first house, 2005, hot market. It was a friend of the realtor's son that was selling the house. So I bought in a very, very, it was like the hottest market at the time. Right. And I still bought below, uh, like I don't know, like 30,000 below appraisal because he said, Hey, my friend's son bought this home at auction. Nobody knows it's for sale. So then I owned one home. I bought it. The, the home across the street sold 30,000 more like a month later. I went and made business cards that I'm an investor. The second house, 2006, still a hot market, was a friend at the gym. I just gave him a card and said, hey, I'm looking to buy real estate. And he's like, my friend's dad wants to sell this home. Their kids are moving out. It's not in great shape, which it actually was. It was just cosmetic. And so that's how I found my second one. It's my property managers have found deals for me. Um, people, I've, people I've met, people I've talked to, agents, brokers, I tell them what I'm looking for. They found deals for me. Uh, and I think just the more touches you can get and, and the more people you can tell what you're looking for, the better. I, I want to be on people's mind when they come across a seller that wants to carry financing, when they come across a mobile home park. I mean, I've had three emails today saying, hey, I wanted you to look at this before it goes live. I know you're looking for mobile home park. Now, I don't know if any of those are going to be good deals or I'm going to buy them, but that's at least the opportunity I, I want. And that's the same with my, with my property managers. Um, one of the guys that I bought in mobile home, a mobile home park from before, he has three others. He has no interest in selling them right now. 
I still text him every couple months and say, Hey, I heard a rumor you want to sell these mobile home parks. And every time he's like, no, I don't, but I promise you'll be the first to know. And that that's all I want. I, and maybe in 10 years, I'm not buying mobile home parks. I don't care if it's tomorrow, next month, next year, I at least want the opportunity before anyone else does. Awesome. I love that. So really it's just about getting creative, you know, and I tell people this, if, if you really want it, you're going to figure out a way to go get it done. Absolutely. Right? Um, and, and that's the biggest thing is so many people kind of want that, that easy button, um, you know, and we all do, right. We're human beings. Of course, if there's an easier way to do something, you're going to do it, but sometimes there's not. So, and, um, and on that same note, like, I don't think there's only one right way. I mean, I know a lot of people that invest in real estate and they all do it a little bit differently. And, you know, the way I do it works for me and it fits well into my lifestyle and, and other people, I know people that send, that send out thousands and thousands of mailers, you know, a, a month and, and that's, they find a lot of success that way, or, you know, they have automated texts and calling like that's, that just doesn't align with the way that what works for me, but it works for other people. So I don't think there's just one, one right way. It's, like you said, you find a way and you, you make it work. Absolutely. Yeah. Like I said before, multiple ways to skin the cat there and be successful. That's why I love this industry because, you know, I mean, heck people freaking trade raw land at auctions. You know what I mean? Like there's just so many facets to it. You just got to pick which one, uh, you know, fits your style, like you said. Um, so kind of talk about now, what, what are you paying attention to moving forward? You know, you're always willing to go out be creative, maybe find new asset classes, you know, what is maybe the next 18 months to two years look like for you? Yeah, it's interesting. I've, I've shifted towards looking at more commercial properties. I'm in contract on some industrial, uh, some industrial complexes. Um, and then outside of the mobile home park space, I bought my first RV park, uh, like a true campground RV park. Um, it, it's interesting because I would get a lot of RV parks, kind of short-term RV parks um, come my way. And I really wasn't focused on that. I was focused on just buying mobile home parks. But last year, my family and I, we, we jumped in an RV. We bought an RV and took a road trip for two months. And we stayed anywhere from like, you know, nice resort type RV parks, just boondocking it in the middle of the desert. And, you know, we were just making it up as, as we went. Um, and I saw that a lot of these RV parks are mom and pop ran. And so, you know, operationally, they're a little bit different. Um, but I bought my first RV park campground. It's It's been going well. I, I think I'll, you know, a lot of it's just getting the right person in place, just I think like any asset, getting the right property management in place. Um, and so I am looking at more RV parks. I'm going to still buy, still buy mobile home parks and uh, looking at some industrial stuff too. Um, and, I, and I also like mixed use. I, I have some, some older properties too that I'll, uh, I've never done new construction. I've never developed, um, but I have some properties that are, that are zoned really well for development. And that's something I'm looking into as well. Awesome. I love it. That's great. Yeah. I think COVID brought to light the, uh, the asset class it is RV parks, right? In terms of people now understanding that this is actually a business that you can go in, operate, you know, there's value add opportunities, um, you know, different things like that than just, you know, a bunch of dirt with, you know, you put a tent on basically. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the park that I bought, they were closed five months out of the year. Um, and that was more of a, the owner's personal choice. They would travel during that time and go visit their adult children. They were close five months out of the year. You couldn't book online. So you, I mean, it was a, it was a literally you had to call and make the reservations. So they, they ran. Okay. The numbers actually looked looked really good the way they, they ran it, but there's a lot of things that could be put in place to make it run even better. And those are just things that, that I've been able to implement to, and, and do just that. Awesome. 
I love it. Well, as we wind down here, we'll jump to the final five. It's the last five questions I got for all my guests. Uh, first question, best advice you've gotten from a mentor? The best advice I ever got from a mentor. Gosh, I don't know. I, I don't, I mean, I've had different mentors. I, I think a lot of it's just been through, through books and, and not necessarily people that, uh, that I know directly, but, um, I think the biggest, the best advice is just, you gotta take action. You have to take action. Yeah. I love that so much. It's so true. Uh, what is it about your career that makes you feel like you're fulfilling your why? Yeah. I own my time. That's, that's a big part of it. Um, you know, I asked myself years ago, like why I wanted to be wealthy. And part of it is I love this game. I enjoy, I enjoy building wealth through real estate. Um, but a lot of it comes down to, I want to own my time and I do own my time and I, I don't have a boss. And to me, that's, that's important. And, and time freedom can mean different things to different people, but ultimately it comes down to freedom and having the choice to move through life as you please. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Uh, favorite non-real estate or investment related book. Gosh, you know what? I, like I said, I never read a book until I was like 19 years old and it was rich dad, poor dad. I, I don't read a lot of gosh, the best non, let's see. And I do, I consume a lot of books, a lot of books on personal development, a real estate business. Give us some good personal development ones. I mean, how to win friends and influence people for sure. Think and grow rich for sure. Um, you like yeah. the classics. Classics. Yeah. 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 Dale Carnegie, man, way ahead of his time on that one for sure. Yeah, uh, Same ones. with Napoleon Hill. Oh, absolutely. Napoleon Hill's like the gold standard. For sure. Uh, uh, if you could have any superpower, what would it be? Any superpower, what would it be? I don't know if I'd want a super. I've been asked that before. Like even my kids would ask me. I, I don't know if I'd want a superpower. I mean, I. Yeah. Fair enough. I can think of ten. You know, a ton that would be amazing and and fun. But, yeah. Totally, I love it. Um, cool. Uh, what's the best way for people to get a hold of you and learn more if they want? Yeah, I'm, I'm fairly active on Instagram. Uh, Gabriel R. Hamill. It's the best, best way to get in touch with me. Cool. Awesome. Gabriel, thank you so much for your time. I've really appreciated it very much. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. Listen, guys, I know it's cliche, but please don't forget to like, subscribe. Please leave a review. Would love to know what you guys think of the episodes. And while you're here still listening, don't forget to go to investwithkatani.com and download my free ebook, Is Commercial Real Estate Recession Proof? Thanks so much.